bit low energy this morning and the crowd is really small, so we're going to have to help each other out with some declarations and exhortations of faith. So turn to someone next to you and uh, let's say, I'm really excited to learn something today, only you have to make them believe it. I'm really excited to learn something today. Good. Are you excited to learn something today? Are your little minds open and, and fertile? All right, so here's your warm-up question, because it's going to require a little bit of, of thinking. What's something that you used to accept, but have since learned to be false? Something that you used to know, you know what I mean? Like you knew it, you accepted it, you believed it, but then since then you've learned that it's false. So... You were updated. What's something you used to accept but have since learned to be false? I'm going to give you eight seconds to think about that one. All right. Give me some examples. Something you used to accept but have since learned to be false. Who's got one? David? Santa. Santa. There will be, there will be prayer ministry after the service. Yeah, Santa. All right. Tis the season. Yeah, some of us are just believers. All right, what else? Amazon reviews. It's a lot. There's a painful story behind that, I can just tell. Yeah, from yesterday? Uh. It's too fresh. <laughs> Something else you, you, you uh, once knew to be true, but I've since learned to be false. Oh. Yeah, Barb. I a weird one. Yeah, my mother's family, like especially my grandmother, taught us that when you're married, you need to be married to eight new people because they just subtract the Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's great. And that was like a requirement for Christians. All right. So when you got buried your body had to be facing east because Jesus is going to return from the east, at least one of the prophecies say, and you don't want to miss it. Like, because if you're not looking, you'd miss it, and then, then what? That's fantastic. I love that one. That's fantastic. Yeah, Evan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I remember, I remember this when I was a kid. The crust of the bread is healthiest for you. Not true. <laughs> Not true. So when you cut off your crust on the PBJ, that was fine, actually. That was fine. Call your parents. Yeah, all right. Yeah, one more good one. Something you knew to be true, I've since accepted to be false. Whew, these are painful. Sonia? Yeah, Sonia's dad taught all the sisters that they were Jewish. The lost tribe of Israel ended up in China. Who knew? And so they were the lost Chinese Jew. Yeah. You were Ethiopian Jew. You were Ethiopian Jews from China. Oh. That rabbit hole went deep, deep. Yeah, yeah, your dad. 
He loved National Geographic, and he had his own interesting sense of humor. I liked, I liked your dad. It was one guy and six women in the family, so he did, he did what he could to keep himself entertained. <laughs> yeah, boy, I, I started thinking about this question this week, and I'm, I'm, all sorts of things have popped into my head. Uh, I, uh, I love boats. I, I love sailing. I grew up sailing, and you know how boats have multiple sails, two sails, and well, I was taught growing up that the reason they do that is because when the wind comes in between the two sails, it squeezes together and then becomes a rocket jet out the bat. Yeah. And, and that was actually accepted wisdom for generations, generations. And just since the 1970s, uh, people have understood that that's not the case and it has to do with like air pressures and stuff like that. The reason I bring that up is because I'm building a moat now and, and designing some sail designs and stuff like that. So I went on to the most famous sail design engineering forum website in, in the world and, and I suggested my web designs. There are still professional engineers that believe it. Um, and uh, so I started this big argument <laughs> among world es experts, like all these engineers with PhDs in aerodynamics and stuff like that. Because when you become an expert on something, you don't want to give it up, right? You don't want to give it up, even if the physical experimentation passes you by and proves you to be false. It's hard to learn, and I think it's sometimes especially hard for experts to learn. You know what I mean? Oh, my gosh. We've seen a lot about that with respect to all this COVID business. I mean, like where we started to where we are now and what we understand, what everybody insisted was true. Um, turned out to be false and it turned out a lot of our policy was whacked, where the virus came from, the, yeah, I'll just stop there. I could go on and on. Um, but lots of updating and, and lots of not updating <laughs> uh, ha has happened. Um, let's uh, read the Christmas story. And as we read this story, which is familiar to everyone at this point, right? Um, my gosh, even people from non-Christian area of the world know the Christmas story. This Christmas is fun to celebrate. As I read through it, I want to read like 35 verses. It's going to be fairly long, but familiar. Take note, sort of in your mind, mark the details that strike you as surprising or shocking. Like, try to imagine that you were in Palestine in the first century AD. Maybe you were uh, part of that Jewish culture into which Jesus was born. And this story happens. This story is relayed to you in real time. Try to imagine the number of things that just don't fit for you, that just don't seem right. Right? You're waiting for the Messiah. You're waiting for God to send an anointed special leader. Your people have been waiting for centuries. There are all these prophecies about it. And what about this story just doesn't work for you? Doesn't work for you, okay? In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census, uh, census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. 
And everyone went to his own town to register, to his or her own family town. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child, although not yet married. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, which is to say a food trough for cattle, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, he is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. He'll be wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, so a whole troop, a little battalion of angels, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, uh, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. They spread the word about what the angel said. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. I bet. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. She had need of a little contemplation. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. The name came in an in a angelic visitation through a dream. When the time of the purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. That is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. There was this little temple ritual that they would go through and offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, which is to say he was waiting for this great promised Messiah, this spiritual mighty leader to show up. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's anointed one, is what that means. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. <laughs> that must have been fun. Just give me that kid. Praise God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. 
prophecies. His prophecy is quoting snatches of all sorts of prophetic words from throughout the Bible. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Familiar story? Merry Christmas. Uh, maybe that's the first reading of the Christmas story of 2022 uh, for you. So what, what shocks you? Like, what's wrong about that story? Like, we always say at Blue Water, whenever you read a Bible passage, ask yourself, what bugs me about this passage? And that's actually the best way to learn something. It leads you to the best insights. What bugs you about this story? What's wrong with it? This is the coming of the promised Messiah, the Son of God, it would be revealed. What's wrong about it? There weren't any important people involved in this story. So this is a man that we know, from our perspective, would literally change the history of the globe forever, unlike any other individual ever born. And certainly all the religious Jews of that period were waiting for a very important person, the, uh, the big-time VIP, and there's not a single important person in this story anywhere. So that's wrong because, I don't know, the experts should have been there. What else? Yeah, and that's kind of suspicious, right? So, like, eventually a whole battalion of angels appear in the sky, and they probably could have appeared over the town. They probably could have, like, broadcasted everywhere. Instead, they essentially sent an email to a bunch of cowboys out in the field, right? Which what shepherds were, essentially. Yeah. They were not social influencers. These guys did not have a following. Uh, shepherds were one small step above homeless, uh, in those days, and so, like, you got incredibly potent testifiers and very, very unlikely, unimpressive witnesses. So that's that's wrong. We can all agree that God made a mistake there. Um, what else? Do we need to do more warm-up questions? Uh, Nalani. He didn't have, yeah, his, didn't have a proper birth room. Here's the savior of the world, um, salvation for uh, everyone, the light of the earth, and he's born in basically, a, well, not born in, but his, uh, he's laid in a, in a dog dish. Yeah. Yeah. Mary was a very irresponsible mother. <laughs> and that, uh, I don't know, maybe he came a little bit early, but let's figure he's at she's at least eight months pregnant and she's taken a trip uh, for bureaucratic reasons. And there's probably a little more to that, but um, inheritance laws and stuff like that. But seems super inconvenient at the very least and kind of dangerous. She got what's coming to her, had to give birth to her kid in a barn. Yeah. Interesting. What else? There are a bunch of fun things. What else we got? 
Yeah, yeah. Let's not gloss over this whole, this whole like you know she got pregnant without having sex bit, uh, and she's not married, and all of the shame that would have gone with that. I mean, my gosh, if the Lord is sending a special person, right? Why all the shame attending it? Like that—that's incredibly wrong. And if he's sending like you know literally the Son of God uh, into time and space, you could not imagine a worse way for him to do it because he's going to be considered illegitimate from the get-go, and it's going to be a social curse to his family. So that's all wrong. Yeah, so, you know, we could go on and on. I mean, the story starts, yeah, there's a Roman census which tells you that the people whom God is saving, they're occupied, right? They're, they're politically occupied by this great Roman empire who is not known for its gentleness. And so on the, uh, the social justice meter, you know, it's like this is an incredibly unjust situation. And, uh, and you would expect maybe a more impressive salvo if God had justice in mind. Uh, the scandal that we mentioned, of course, it goes without saying that this couple was very poor um, because uh, a couple that had means probably could have done better for themselves than a food dish. Um, Uh, and one thing that really jumps out at me in the story is this prof- prophecy at the end, right? So Mary and Joseph take baby Jesus into the temple courts, right? And there are a couple prophets there. Simeon was one, and then a little bit later in the story, uh, this woman Anna uh, chimes in with her prophecies as well. But Simeon's the first guy that gets it, and he's uh, righteous and devout, we're told. So he's God's guy, right? He's God's guy, and he obviously is a very prophetic fellow. He's led to go to the temple, um, and, uh, and then he sees parents walk in with this baby, and he's like, that's the one, and grabs the kid and starts prophesying over them. And then he prophesies incorrectly because he should be saying, this is the champion of all the world. This is the guy that's going to do it. This guy is going to overthrow. This is the reign of justice, blah, blah, blah. And instead he says, this is uh, a kid uh, who's going to be spoken against a lot, right? He's going to be super criticized. And he's going to reveal the hearts uh, of people. He's going to reveal what's really going on inside of people, you know? So he's like a, a provocateur, you know? which is not, not what you'd want. He's going to be a very contentious, political, spiritual figure. People are going to argue about him a lot, you know, that sort of thing. It's like, well, that's not really what you wanted to hear. It's going to cause the, the rise of many and the fall of many. Well, that's interesting. I wonder exactly how she interpreted that. And then at the end of it, you know, the punchline, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This child of destiny is going to break your heart. Oh, yes. Yeah. You know, when somebody has a baby and you go to the hospital with the balloons and the card and the flowers, like, you don't write in the card, uh, this baby will break your heart. Congratulations. I guess we don't get to go to the hospital anymore to do that. Maybe in a, maybe in a few years' time, when the dust settles, we can do that again. Right. So many things are, are wrong with this story. Um, this uh, this is this is not your mother's Messiah, right? Uh, it's in no way 
the Messiah that anybody expected or that anybody would have found palatable in that, that day and age. And, you know, I, and I, I read the story as it is written. It was written down actually quite soon after Jesus' death. And they throw in all of these details about figures that were at play um, in a manner that suggests to us that they were trying really hard to capture the details, right? So the people that wrote down the story, they knew how screwy it was, and they go out of their way to tell you the screwed-up honesty <laughs> of it, right? They're, they don't hide anything. They don't stylize anything. They're just like, believe it or not, this is how it went down. Nobody would have made this up, you know, that sort of thing. Um, the whole thing just begs for reevaluation. It's like, well, there was something that you guys knew to be true about God. There's something that you guys knew to be true about justice in the world and how everything went. Guess what? God does not agree. God does not agree. And the first thing that Christmas invites us to do is to reevaluate everything. To reevaluate. Uh, to, it's as if that, that was the first Christmas message. God comes into the world in a way that requires you to change your mind. God comes into the world in a way that requires learning. You actually have to learn something. Uh, God comes into the world in a humble way. We celebrate that at Christmas. Oh, such a humble child. But there's an offshoot. God comes into the world in a way that requires you to be humble humble enough to update, to reevaluate, and to learn. Christmas is very challenging, you know. It's, it's like my ideal Christmas card says, Merry Christmas, it's not what you think, you know. And that, that seemed to be what God was trying to, to get across. It's like, peace on earth, yes, but it's not an imposed sort of peace, right? It's not like governmental or military or anything like that, um, Tidings of great joy, but, but not an easy joy because it involves rising and falling and criticism and heartbreak. So that's interesting. What's going on here? Great power. This is the promised one. This is the light of the world. Great power, but very low-class power. <laughs> very mild, gentle, um, passive power, it seems, almost. We know that Jesus would go on to do very, very powerful miracles, but never insistent in its power. Um, uh, so it seems like every Christmas the world ought to say, oh yeah, we sh should probably not be too full of ourselves. Oh yeah, we should probably remember that we're not all that smart. We should probably pause to reconsider if we're as smart and virtuous as we think we are. You know, that, that all kind of comes with Christmas. And this Christmas especially, I think it's a, great, it's a great thing for us to contemplate. If I were explaining Christmas to the world, I'd say, oh yeah, Christmas is about not being as smart as you think you are. Christmas is about reevaluating. Christmas is about, yeah, choosing to learn something, maybe. I am very fond of the way that God came into the world and the baby Jesus and sort of meek, mild, humble, because everybody loves that guy. Everybody loves that Jesus, right? That part of Jesus everybody likes. Christmas presents a God that we can easily trust. Do you agree? 
you can relate to in a way. It presents a God we can easily trust, but Christmas does not present a God who is easy to accept. And that might be surprising, but I think that if you were to design your God on a blank page, that you would want a God who is a little more classic, a little more epic, because you want your God to be helpful, right? You want your God to be helpful to you. You want your God to be a problem solver. And there was nothing at all about the Christmas story that suggested a problem-solving type of God, right? It, it, it suggested a mysterious kind of God. It, it, I mean, literally suggested a, a God who needed to be cared for, which is ironic and provocative. You've probably thought about that before, Jesus being such a vulnerable baby. But I think that makes God hard to accept. And I experience that often in life. The thing that makes me mad at God, and I do get mad at God a lot, um, I have to say, is that he just, he's not epic enough. He's not, he's not direct enough. He's not directly helpful. It's always like, oh, you're having a hard time in life. Here's what I'll do. Um, I'll, I'll surprise you with how weak I am. No, 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 no. That's exactly what I did not want. You know, I want you to kind of show up, man. It's like, oh, you mean that you want to go searching for me in poor, out-of-the-way places? No, that's not what I want at all. And it just kind of begs the question, why did God do it like this? And I'm not going to answer that this morning. In some way, I try to answer that like week in and week out. Um, but all I'm, all I'm pointing out is that Christmas begs the question. It just really begs the question in a way that's unlike any other event save maybe Easter, <laughs> right? Because if you, missed, if you missed Christmas, then there's no way you were going to miss God's message at Easter, right? When this baby gets tortured to death. It's just very, very troubling, and I find that hard to accept, very unacceptable, but the Lord is inviting us to swallow it with the Christmas story. I think, well, how is this going to change my world? Uh, but more than anything else, as I said, uh, if I were to explain Christmas, I would explain it as a choice that the world needs to make. Yeah, Christmas is a choice uh, for, for the world. You think you like it, but you probably don't. Think it through for a minute and tell me what you're going to choose um, because I can tell you right now that Jesus is the choice that everybody in the world makes, the rise and the fall of many, a child who is glorified and spoken against. I mean, he is the dividing point for all human history. He is the choice. I kind of think that the reason God did it this way is the reason he sent redemption through the baby Jesus is because for our development, for faith, every human has to make a choice for God, right? We can't just like passively coast our way into God. And Jesus forces you to make the choice. God had to present the choice in some fashion. He chose to do it with baby Jesus and cross Jesus, which is to say, I think God made it as easy as possible. Because if he were a powerful, powerful God, you'd have no choice but to accept him. But by being a weak, weak God, you have to choose to accept him. You know, and Christmas is like, learn, update, reevaluate all things which are predicates to choice. And then make your choice, guys. 
make your choice, but do not make it lightly. Do not make it lightly. It will involve some heartbreak and some criticism and antagonism as well as some freedom and some redemption and some power. So it all goes together. Interesting holiday this Christmas, you know, when something is so surprising, so counterintuitive, uh, just requires a lot of reevaluation and, and reconsideration. And um, that's the spirit of, of the holiday, uh, along with joy and gladness and sharing and love and everything that we've come to appreciate about it. But I think Christmas says to the world, are you willing to learn? Are you willing to admit that what you accepted is true, what you've just been so certain about that you've argued about, are you willing to accept that actually that was false? That was false. <clears throat> and such a humble God as this requires really humble followers. <clears throat> so that's what I will be preaching to the world uh, this Christmas. Through Christmas, I'll be saying, oh, Christmas is a choice. You know, it requires us to be humble and to realize that there's still a lot for us to learn. I'll say something like that. Um, <clears throat> but I'll pose the question to you guys first uh, during this Christmas season. Given the spirit of Christmas and how it all went down at the beginning, are you willing to learn something this year? Are you willing to learn something? This has been a, a season in, in the world and a season in culture in which you have not been encouraged to learn. You've been encouraged to argue, right? You've been encouraged to dig in and to choose sides and to not surrender your position. That's basically what's happened in the world, certainly in our country, but I think you know, all over the place. It's been uh, a season of imposed choices, yes? All over the world in different ways, all sorts of different ways, but like the spirit of the season is like, yeah, don't change your mind, dig in, make sure that you know who's wrong <laughs> and that you're on the right and uh, otherwise we'll make you do it, <laughs> you know. And against all that, the Christmas story rises up and says, it's not what you think. It's actually not what you think. And that's the grace of being a Christian. One, one of the many graces of being a Christian is that we can walk through the world in a humble way, like good followers of Jesus, and be able to say, it might not be what you think, actually might not be what you think. And then when people criticize us, when they speak against us, oh, you're one of them. I'm not really willing to be categorized like that. Um, I'm, I'm a learner. I'm still learning. I'm, I'm still open to being surprised, actually. You know, I'm, I'm still willing to be shocked by, by God and shocked by the nature of the world. You know, I'm... I'm no expert, you know, um, I'm just a wise person, I'm not an expert person. You know the difference? Uh, I love, my favorite, my favorite characters in the Christmas story are the wise men. Um, in part because they just like their name, <laughs> right? They were wise, they were not experts, they went looking. They didn't just sit around knowing, right? Oh, so Christmas, so Christmas. I bet you that there are some great gifts in the offing for you guys if you're willing to learn something this year. If you're willing to kind of downshift and be humble. If you're willing to open your mind and, and actually 
take note of what's happening around you and listen to people like shepherds. Um, you might be guided to a powerful place. I'm going to just take 15 seconds and invite God to... Uh, Open a few windows in our spirits this morning. And maybe what we've insisted is true and right. Maybe it's not, actually. Maybe it's not. And maybe if you open that window, that's a place where Jesus could sneak in. Speak, Lord. Well, you can continue that educational conversation with the Lord. And I just want to pray over us that we would carry forth into the world the humble spirit of Christmas, the humble spirit of wisdom. Not expertise, but wisdom. Oh, I'm so tired of expertise. And I'm so hungry for wisdom. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would make us a wise people a wise people, a people who learn voraciously but are always humble enough to learn more, a people who believe ferociously but who are always willing to grow more. I bless you, brothers and sisters, with the humble spirit of the Christ child, the humble spirit of the shepherds who received and searched, the humble spirit of the wise men who studied and searched, the humble spirit of all who followed Jesus, who was shocking but healing. I bless you with the fruit of humility in your lives. And I pray, Father, that somehow as we speak in the gentle tones of Christ, the brave tones of Christ, that we'd be influential, that we would be light in the fallen world in which we live. I pray that it would be a compelling light, Lord, that many would be attracted to you via us in this season. That we could present a choice, a real living choice. That we would not go with the flow that we would be an island in the midst, growing and verdant and safe. In Jesus' name, amen.